a series that I've been preaching is called Standing on the Promises. And what we are trying to do as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, and specifically the body here at Main Street Church, we are trying to, to walk out of the wilderness, and we're trying to walk in the land of promise. And we've discovered that there's a way to do that, and the way you do that is you stand on the promises of God. And we've been reading this passage, Psalms 100, We've been reading this passage every day this month. Has anybody missed a day reading this? Don't raise your hand. Has anybody missed a day this month reading Psalms 100? Because that was the homework that was given to you. The homework that you never do was to read Psalms 100. And you read it every day and you, you, you give a praise. So we're going to right now do our homework. Psalms 100 is popping up on the screen. And you're going to read this with me. Make Our challenge is to, to, to memorize that passage, for that spa- passage to get into our spirit and to get into our heart. And we do this from time to time. We, 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 we want God's Word to be in us because there will come a time if the Word of God is inside you that the Spirit of God will stir that up most of the time at a moment of need and the, the Word of God will come along and it will strengthen you. And we're using the Word of God this, this month and we're standing on His promises. And we've discovered, so far, we've discovered six promises. They're listed in your bulletin, and I am going to read them real fast. The first promise we discovered is that I am a creation. I am created in the image of God. I'm created in His likeness. The devil's days are numbered. I believe that the devil is a real creation. I believe he seeks to destroy who he can destroy, but I believe that his days are numbered. In Romans 16, chapter 20, uh, chapter 16, verse number 20 will back me up. I'm an heir to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is my big brother. He, uh, he is the only begotten. I am an adopted child of the king, and I'm an heir to Jesus Christ. When believers pray... I'll say this, y'all say amen. This is a promise written in God's word from James chapter 5, verse number 16. When believers pray, great things happen. I'm loved by God. John chapter number 3, verse number 16 says that I am loved by God. Wednesday night, we discovered that one of the promises of God comes from Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, where the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We're standing on those promises. We're believing those promises. And as we believe and stand on those promises, we're not going to complain. We're not going to be coveting. We're not going to be uh, critical. We're not going to be rebellious. We're not going to be doubtful. We're going to be changed into the image of Jesus Christ. Today, I'm going to give you a seventh promise. I want to warn you, this is a sermon-spitting preacher you got right here. All you people on the first row, I'll be praying for you. because You should have seen me this morning. It looked like this first service. It looked like it was... You'll be okay. Uh, What was I saying? I'm going to give you a promise. This is a different promise than I've been giving you in the past four or five weeks. This is a promise from God, but this promise has a condition tied to it. God 
has said this, I will do this. I promise you. And when God promises something, it's as though you, he's signing his name. You know how you go to the bank and you're going to buy a house or something and you, you have to sign your name on the document? That's your, that's your, you're swearing, you're, 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 you're laying your integrity on the line. When God makes a promise in his word, he's laying his integrity on the line. He says, I will do this. You will do that. That is called a conditional promise. And here's one that we can read about. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, beginning in verse number 12, the Lord said, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayers, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Look at verse 13. We all know 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14, but 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 13 is a promise from God. Nobody likes to preach it, but here it is. It says, when I, when I, God, shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send a pestilence among my people, when God allows trouble, when God allows heartache, when God allows strife in your life, that's like a beeper going off in your life saying something is wrong. Listen, people of God, we need to change because something isn't going right. Verse number 14 says this. After there's no rain, after there's no, uh, after the locusts devour the land and the pestilence come, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If the people of God, who am I talking about? I am talking about God's people. I am talking about the church. God has made a promise to our nation. And God will come through on his promise if the people of God, if the church. Now I hear people say this all the time. America needs to get right with God. Let me tell you something. The church are the people that need to get right with God. When the church gets right with God, then God's going to move and God's going to do something great in the land. When my people, if my people, see, look at verse number 14. It doesn't say when my people. It says, if my people, the people of God has got to make a decision. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves... And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. What's God going to do? God is going to forgive their sin and he's going to heal their land. Look at this. When you read this passage... This is a very important word. The word then. He is going to forgive, forgive our sin. What does the word sin, what does it mean? Well, in the Hebrew, it is the 24, it's 2304, and it means offense or it means uh, offender. When I sin, I offend God. 
In Genesis chapter number 3, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, when they ignored God, when they turned their back on God, they sinned and they, they, they separated themselves from God. And, and, and God brought separation between him and, and, and the people that he had created. Why? Because people sinned. Because they ignored him. Because they were offended. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because in Genesis chapter number 1, let's just turn there. Do you all have your Bible? Turn with me to Genesis chapter number 1, and let's begin in verse number 1, and we're going to see what God is up to here. In Genesis chapter number 1, verse number 1, the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. I think about this verse of scripture every day of my life. Because that word created is a very interesting word. The word created means to make something out of nothing. God is the creator. <clears throat> you are the creation. Now, I'm going to ask you a question and you say nothing. What's in my hand? Okay, if, if you have nothing, and then you have the ability to take nothing and to create everything, then that makes you the creator. And because you are the creator, you are the one who gets to decide. If the creator creates a snake, and the snake crawls up on the ground... The creation, the snake, does not get to decide that someday I'm going to stand upright and I'm going to walk on two legs. No, you're the creation. He is the creator. You, you, you do what the creator tells you, creation. The creation, which is us, the creation is designed to bring honor and glory to the creator. The creation is not the point. The point is the creator. Now, I really, really, as the creation, I really, really, really want to be the point. I really, really wish that everybody would do what I want them to do. I really, really wish, as a creation, when the light turned green, I wish that all of creation would move when the light turns green. Because I am a creator, and I want everybody to do what I want them to do. But I see, I'm a creation, not the creator, and I am not the point. He is the point. So he has took absolutely nothing. And he's created everything. And when you read Genesis chapter number 1 and you come all the way down to verse number 26, you'll discover this. Then God said, let us make man, here's one of our promises, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them, draw a line under that word, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, uh, uh, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. I am, you are, of all of God's creation, his highest form of creation. In the beginning, God created a man. And when he created this man, he created this man in the image of himself. This man has wisdom, this man can think, this man can love, he has godly attributes. So this man is created in the likeness of God. Then later on, a, um, 
a deep sleep fell upon Adam. And God took from Adam a rib and God made a woman. The reason that this is so fresh on my mind is because I'm preparing for our January marriage conference. And, 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 and I'm looking at the difference. Last, last conference, I talked all about the man. This conference, I'm going to talk all about the woman. Talk about all the ladies of the, uh, the, the, the power of the woman in the house. And here's what I've discovered, that men and women are equal. I'll say that again. Y'all say amen. Men and women are equal. But they are different. When God created man, he created him in his likeness. It's the, the, this man that God created is a tool. And this tool is to be used by God to bring honor and glory to him. God did not need the woman. This man was made in his image. But then God saw that the man was lonely. He created this woman. She too was created in the image of God. And she, this woman, apart from the man, is still perfect in God's eye because she was created in his image. This woman that that God made from a man is in his likeness. She is a tool in the hands of God. Man, woman, creation, they're equal but they're different. They're both, they are both tools in God's hand. Tools are a good thing. And tools, if you don't know how to use them, can be a bad thing. Amen? Let's say Jacob Mays called me this morning and told me to come. He said, Pastor, I can't be at church this morning because my hair dryer's tore up. I have this tool, this, this hair dryer, and I can't blow my hair dryer because, and I can't come to church. And I said, that's okay, Jacob. I'll come and help you. And I show up at Jacob's house, and I show up there with a leaf blower. I say, hey, listen, my, my hair dryer's tie up too, but we can take this and we can... Dr- is, is a leaf blower a good thing? Is a hair dryer a good thing? Who wants to dry their hair with a leaf blower? Who wants to blow off their driveway with a hair dryer? See what I'm saying? If you use the tools correctly, they are helpful. We are God's tools. And we have taken ourselves out of God's hands. And God gives us the ability, the choice to do that. And when we take ourselves out of God's hands and we become our own tools or we use these tools for wrong things, then all heck breaks loose. Chaos. I am created in the image of God, by God, so is the woman. And God, when he created man and woman, he created them perfectly. It's not the job of man to try to change creation. Are you a man? Then God created you to be a man. Are you a woman? God created you that way. You are his tools. And God wants to use you just the way you are created. I don't care what anybody tells you. I don't care if it's John Hopkins, Hopkins uh, uh, Hospital. I don't care if it's Yale, Harvard. The, God has no desire for any man, woman, and boy to, to be a transgender. God created you to be who you are being. When you start tampering with that, the creation has begun to tamper with the creation, and it's not right. It's wrong in the eyes of God, and we have become Badly used tools. God created a man to marry a woman. God created a woman to marry a man. 
And I don't care how many people in a black robe stands up and tells me that it's okay for men to marry men and women to marry women. It's wrong. It's wrong according to the Word of God, and it won't work. God will not bless that. God will not honor that because he is the creator. We are the creation. God gets to make all these decisions. But let me tell you something. When we look at our sin, I'm doing good, aren't I? When we look at our sin and all the things that we've tried to take into our own hands, we've tried to take this away from God and we're just going to handle it. When we do what God, when we humble ourselves, when we pray, when we seek God's face, when we turn from our wicked way, God will forgive our sin. What does forgive mean? Forgive means to pardon. It means to release. It means to let go. Man, I could just stand here and shout this morning thinking that I have been forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. There has been so many things that I have done that God has pardoned, that God has released me from because of Jesus. When we mess up and when we sin and when we come short and when we do what's wrong, we come before him. God forgives our sin. Think about that. If you will humble yourself, pray, seek my face, turn from your wicked ways, then, after you've done these things, then... I, God, will hear from heaven. Doesn't that that just make you want to shout that God is hearing you when you pray? I will hear from heaven and I will forgive, I will pardon, I will release you of your sin. And I will heal their land. This word land means country, means community, it it, it, it means nation. When we do what God tells us to do, when we follow the pattern, God is going to heal our land. This word here in the Greek is spelled R-A-P-H-A, Rapha. You pronounce it like this, R-A-W-H. F-A-W, Rapha. Now, you know a Hebrew word, Rapha. It means to heal. It means to cure. It means to make well. It means to thoroughly make hold. In Exodus chapter number number 15, beginning in verse number 22, the children of Israel had came out of Egypt. They had walked through the Red Sea. They had been set free from Egypt. They had been set free from Pharaoh. And now they are on the other side of the desert. Moses brought the children of Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Sur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Verse 23 says this, Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah, for they they were bitter. Therefore... The name of it was called Mara. The place is bitter. It's a bitter place. The water there, in East Tennessee terms, is sulfur water. But they are so thirsty, they're in such need of water, they come to this brackish, bitter water, 
They can't drink it. And the people complained or the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? So Moses cried out. Moses prayed to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. When Moses cast it into the waters, when Moses cast the tree into the water, the waters were made sweet. Now, the waters were were bitter. Sweet water. The waters at Mara was bitter. They couldn't drink it. God showed Moses a tree. Moses cut the tree down, and he took that tree, and he placed it in the water. And as soon as he placed the tree in the water, the bitter water became sweet. What a great place to teach salvation. That tree that Moses cut and put in the water is symbolic of the cross. And they took that cross, and if we take the cross and we place it over, we place it in the United States of America, this place will stop being bitter. It will become sweet. How many mass shootings have we had this past week? Our world is bitter, and one of the biggest reasons that the whole world is bitter is because the United States is bitter. If the United States would get right, I believe it would change the whole world. And when you take the cross of Jesus Christ and you place that in in a nation or you place the cross of Jesus' life, uh, place the cross of Jesus Christ in the life of an individual, their life is changed. It goes from bitter to sweet. Now listen, this won't work any other way. God is a narrow-minded God. He has one way of doing things. He wants it done his way. If we choose to go to our schools and we choose to remove the cross from our schools, if we remove the word of God, if we remove the the prayer from our schools, you must understand when we remove those things, that produces a consequence. We remove the sweetness of God and our, our world becomes bitter. When you remove prayer when you remove the cross from the united states of america it's not going to get better it's going to get bitter it will happen what the world needs we need to take our eyes off the democrats we need to take our eyes off the republicans we need to take our eyes off the white house we need to place our eyes on jesus christ and we need to say come hell or high water we're going to follow jesus we're going to do what the word of god commands us to do now the bible says that that he will heal he will rafa cure cure i want so bad to say cure cure heal repair make whole our land what does what does a an a healed nation look like what does a sweet not bitter nation. What does it look like? I don't know. I know this, that in John chapter number five, Jesus went to a place called the pool of Bethesda. And there was all kinds of sick people laying around the pool. 
And he walked up to this one man, the Bible called him an invalid, who had been in that condition for 38 years. And Jesus said, do you want to be made well? And he said, listen, there is no one to help me. When the waters are troubled, I can't get into the water because I'm an invalid and no one is here to help me. Let me tell you something. The help that our nation comes, that our help that our nation needs this morning doesn't come from man. The help that we need comes from God. And God, Jesus said to him, who had laid by that pool, who had been lame for 38 years, who, who wanted to, to be made whole, Jesus said, arise, take up your bed and walk. And the Bible says, he was made whole. W-H-O-L-E. And I believe it means this. He was healed physically. He was healed, spirit, healed spiritually. He was roughed throughout his whole body. He was made well. I believe if the people of God would do what God called them to do, if God would forgive our sin, then heal our land. I don't know exactly what it would be like, but it would be something like Revelation chapter number 21, verse number 5. Where the Bible says this, Behold, I make all things new. I believe if the people of God would do what God called them to do, God would forgive, God would heal, and I believe our nation would become something like the Garden of Eden. I believe it would be a a place of peace, a place of joy. But you know what? This is a promise, a promise that comes from God But in order to get this promise, it's a conditional promise, we must follow the pattern. What must you do? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, we must conquer our pride. The Bible says that God is the God of love. And you cannot show me one person on the face of this earth that God does not love. What would you do, Pastor, if someone of transgender or a a gay person or something like that came to to Main Street Church to worship? What would you do? I would put my arms around them and love them, and I would let them know that they are in a safe place. We are so glad they're here, and it is my prayer that we could show you the love of Jesus Christ. You are just as welcome here as anybody that we exclude zero people here. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what, what you look like. I don't care what you smell like. I do hope you do smell okay, but but but. Really, we don't care. We do not care. We, we want you here. God is a God of love. But listen, God also has listed in his word seven things that he hates. Do you know what the first thing is that God hates? Pride. God hates pride. Do you know what goes before a fall? Buddy, my church is doing good, and the offerings are up, and Sunday school's up, and the singing's good by that church. I don't know what the kingdom of God would do without me. I'm just such a blessing. You know what's going to happen to this guy when he starts talking like that? He's going to fall. God has never intended for me or any other believer to stand on his own. We are to stand on the promises of God. And we must conquer our pride we humble ourselves let me tell you something god 
can humble you. But I do not recommend it. When you think about the pledge allegiance to the flag, and you think about the Supreme Court wanting to change the pledge, and you think about all the words that are listed in the pledge, you know what? There's only two words in that pledge that bothers those, the Supreme Court. Only two. Under God. You know what? If we ever choose to be a nation that's not under God, we have made a terrible, terrible mistake. You humble yourself. You conquer your pride. You continue in prayer. You humble yourself and pray. You bow your knee. You come before God. You get on your knees before Him and you pray. We've discovered this, that this is one of God's promises that God's made to us. When believers pray, great things happen. Prayer. In Exodus chapter number 2, around verse number 23, the nation of Israel is in bondage. And a bad Pharaoh had come to, to lead the nation. And the Bible says that the children of Israel cried out to God. And God heard their prayer. Because those people prayed, because God heard their prayer, God remembered the promise that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God saw Moses on the backside of the desert. He sent Moses into the land of Egypt. Moses went in and got those children out. They walked through the Red Sea. They got water from a rock. They got manna from heaven. They had uh, uh, everything that they needed. Why? Because they prayed. You humble yourself and you pray. God wants to to heal our land. God wants to forgive your sin. But we have to follow the pattern. There is only one thing that can stop revival. Congress can't stop it. The Supreme Court cannot stop it. There's only one thing that stops revival, and that's sin. You humble yourself, you pray, you seek God's face. Since last Sunday morning, since about 12.30 of last Sunday, I've been praying. Lord, give me a word for these people. Lord, help me as I stand and preach. Lord, help me as I preach the word of God and make it clear. I pray that, there's, that the hearts are ready to receive the words. I pray their hearts is surrendered. Lord, give me an illustration. Lord, give me a passage. You know what I'm doing when I'm praying like that? I'm seeking God's hand. Give me, give me, give me. And that's okay because my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can give me whatever I need. And I need a word, so I'm seeking his hand. But what does it mean when we seek his face? That means I bow my knees, I come into his presence, and I pray, and I say, Lord, what do you want? What do you want from me as a believer? As a child of God, how can I bless you? You're going to bless me. You're going to take care of me. You love me. I know that you've done it for all of my life. I trust you in that area. But let me ask you something. What do you want? Who is hurting? Who is struggling? Who can I minister to in your name? 
the pattern goes like this. You have to humble yourself. You have to conquer your pride. You have to pray. You've got to continue to pray. You've got to pray without ceasing. And, and, and then you've got to, to seek his face. We've got to know what God wants. Pastor, I have no idea what God wants from me. Let me help you. Do you have any lost family members? Do you have any lost neighbors? I don't have to dig through the Word of God to let you know this. You need to share the gospel with them. I have no idea what what God wants me to do. Have you prayed for your pastor? I don't need to dig into God's Word to know that you need to be praying for me. And God knows I pray for you. See, when it comes to seeking God's face, we try to make it hard. This is what a great theologian once said. When you don't know what to do, you do what you know to do. You know to pray for your pastor. You know to share the gospel. And when you begin to walk into those things, you know what happens? You are seeking God's face and then God opens it. When you seek God's face, then you turn from your wicked ways. You know what the word wicked means? You know, we get that word wicked from the word wicker. I'm going to ask you a question and don't raise your hand. Have you got any wicker furniture in your house? Don't raise your hand. It's twisted, isn't it? We need to turn from our twisted ways and seek God's face. When I do that, then he's going to do this. If I don't do that, he's not going to do that. It's called a conditional promise. Today we honor our veterans. Every man and woman that has served in our military, I honor you. Just this past week, there was an election. Last Tuesday, you know what? I did not vote. I voted a week earlier. All you people who show up to vote on election day, there's something wrong with you. You don't do that. You need to vote, just don't go on election day. I voted. I got to vote for the men and women that I wanted to vote for. That has a lot to do with the fact that men and women have served our country and they have went and fought that I might have the privilege to vote. It's my understanding there's people still voting, they're still finding ballots, it's still still happening. But you know what? I get to vote. I get to go to church where I want to go to church. When I drove to church this morning, I wasn't in fear of some military outfit stopping me and making me wanting to see my notes and wanting to read my Bible. You know why? It's because of our veterans. You know what? There's a big debate. I love what people debate. There's a big debate about Veterans Day. Some people say you should spell Veterans Day apostrophe S. Some people say you ought to spell Veterans Day with S apostrophe. 
But you know what? This day don't really belong to the veterans. The day belongs to the Lord. But this is a day when we stop and we honor our veterans. You want me to tell you the greatest soldier, the greatest warrior of all time? His name was Jesus. Jesus Christ went to the cross and he fought an awful, awful battle. And there was a time about 12 o'clock in the afternoon when he was on that cross and darkness fell upon the earth. There was a time when it looked like he was going to have to surrender. When he was going to have to raise the white flag. And it looked that way. It looked that way for three days. And then all of a sudden there was an earthquake. And the stone was rolled away. And the greatest warrior, the greatest volunteer of all time was up and doing what God called him to do. Yes, we honor the men and women of our nation who has given us this tremendous privilege of being an American. But you know what? This morning, I'm asking you to honor Jesus Christ because he fought a battle for you that you could not win. And he delivered you. He delivered you from the hands of the enemy. And because of him, you have life and you have it eternally. Let me tell you something. You need to come back next Sunday. If, you, if you're worshiping with us for the very first time and maybe you're seeking a church or whatever, as you, as you go on your journey, you come back here next Sunday because I'm going to preach on one of the greatest promises of all. On a place called heaven. <laughs> what the heck? I just do it right now. <laughs> I want you just for a moment to bow your head and close your eyes. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Would you take just a moment in a time of thanksgiving to thank God for what He has done for you through His Son, Jesus? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, maybe you won't take just a moment and make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. Maybe you've never been saved. Maybe you've never known that Jesus went to the cross and did what he did at Calvary for you. And maybe right there this morning you just want to say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to save me. I ask you to pardon my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. If you prayed that prayer and prayed it in your heart, I hope you'll come during our time of invitation and make it public. As we enter this time of invitation, I'm inviting all of those of you who would like to join Main Street Baptist Church, those of you who have been saved and baptized and feel like the Lord's calling you here, the altar is open, the time is now for you to come and, 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 and make uh, Main Street your church home. 
If you're, you're here this morning, you just want to come and pray. This is the time of invitation. Lots of pastors don't give invitations. I'll always give an invitation. Because I believe there comes a time when the people of God need to respond. And this is your moment. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In your son's name I pray. Amen.